three, two, one, and we should be live. Here Stone we go. Three stoned apes. What is it Reverend, yep. Sarge, and mm -hmm. Professor? Mm -hmm. All right, official, <laughs> official. Look at that. We are official. A lot of big stuff coming, man. I'm super excited about it. We are official. So. Cold weather out here in our neck of the woods, though. Jesus, dude. It was negative wind chill 27. I told people today I had flashbacks of Fort Drum. I, like, breathed in through my nose, taking care of the chickens, and frozen snot tried to shoot into my brain. It was awful. I tried to get my daughter to look cold yeah. outside, but she wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I'm not stupid, Dad. I'm like, it's cold enough. I bet you could. Like, you won't even taste it. <laughs> you won't Why Oh, rolly chair. Oh, yeah, so we're going to upgrade the chairs. So I got a lot of upgrades coming for the basement. I decided if we're going to make this into a podcast, uh, we're going to make this a podcast space. I got some test tiles coming for in here, those ceiling tiles that I showed you. We're going to soundproof the ceiling. May actually end up doing the whole basement this way. Just make it the ceiling for the basement. It's a very affordable option, and it does all the insulating and sound absorbing that I wanted it to do. Huh. Oh, that's cool. So, that is cool. Might have to maybe do that to my basement. We're going to get some curtains up for that to kind of soften that light and the blocks of the sound. <laughs> Make it a blind for that one to be able to do the same thing. And then I bought velvet curtains to come up here that will side this space off so we can kill the echo chamber. Ooh. So we're going to have this all separated. And then I'm going to put a light over this too so we have a little bit of additional lighting. All right. Uh, so, okay. yeah, now. I have a I have a, a, a mission for you guys if you choose to accept it. Okay. I don't know about what we quests. need. We need, and you've seen the basement. You know what the vibe is. We need a badass vintage on air sign. Oh, ooh, that's kind of cool. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Right with the switch, and it's like the backlit. Yeah, where we hit the switch and it comes up. Because I'm gonna put, I'm gonna be buying a rabbit air filtration system that I'm going to install on the wall there over here it and it's it a big one because most of the the smoke comes out into here so I'm going to actually buy another one of those and put one there put the rabbit there and then probably move the third one back here this thing yeah that's an uh, air that's an air purifier okay so what we do to keep the smoke out from down here because we smoke quite a bit down here during the winter and it was meant to be a cigar bar the problem with seeps. seeps and it goes up right so when we're eventually eventually the plan is is to build the cigar room in the attic so that the smoke goes out the roof line and we don't have to worry about it it's so much easier to filter it and then you don't have to worry about smoking the house so I dig it I dig it I do I do dig it that's the goal so, but um, I think for down here, that's going to really open the, close the space off. It's going to help sound quality. It's yeah. going to give us a more purposeful, like, area. Yeah. Yeah. Feel like it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I changed the lighting down here. I actually came up with this idea. It worked excellent. I'm going to go finish it off today. Just change the lighting down where we don't have two tones of lighting anymore. It's all the same tone. Makes it a lot more. And now we have light. <laughs> so. I like that yeah. style bulb. Big. See, so we gotta keep the round table element in it. Yeah. This is permanent. It's the pub table. 
That's what I was saying. We should name, like, our sit-down something. Like, the pub table something. Like, you know, call it, like, a thing. The round table. You know? Like, as a three, you know, as a stoned ape sit around the, the whatever. But would apes sit around? Oh, no. Like, what is this? Is this, a, is this a thought experiment? Isn't it? Is, is this a thi- it's a think tank, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that really it, what this is? This isn't is, it all? That's what they, that's <laughs> like what they called it back in the day. This is what those old school philosophers used to do. They used to get around and have powwows, and those powwows would be think tanks. You and know, then they would create little sessions, little uh, symposiums. That's where the symposiums came from. They'd create sessions, and then they would explore new thought. So essentially, that's what we're having. We're having like the round table think tank. I mean, we could call it like the round table powwow. It's probably more on our level. I don't necessarily think we're Greek philosophers yet. Touche. How is there like an age limit? I don't think so. And arguably, Sam probably was in a past life. What a philosopher? Yeah, no. he was probably He's Greek. He was probably Socrates. Oh, he was definitely a Spartan. One thousand percent a Spartan. He's one of the assholes of three hundred. <laughs> Died with a slave on my back eating the arrows. Really yeah. great book. If you've never read it, uh, Gates of Fire, mm-hmm. written by. Um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name now. Uh, Pressfield, Stephen Pressfield. Anyway, it's it's an account of Thermopylae, and it's not the 300 graphic novel version of it. Like it talks about their how a, a big part of their army was actually their slaves who came and trained with them and there's like accounts of like how they tried to do a raid down into the camp the night before mm-hmm. to take out the god king and they're carrying the, they're like one of the dude's slaves both his legs got broken and he was like they were getting all the arrows coming down on me told his like master basically he's like put me on your back just so he could eat the arrows while they were like bounding backwards great book and the biggest part, the whole first part of the book is, like, how they trained, like, a goge and all that stuff. And it's, like, that part of it's fascinating. I'm like, I wish they would have made 300 that movie. Like, That's interesting. Well, fascinating. I just, I just watched 300 the other day, and I'll tell you what, for a cinematic for piece. No, just again, yeah. for a cinematic piece, what a beautiful, beautiful oh, yeah. movie. I really hate where movies have went today. We've really lost the art in film, and that's a very artistic film. And uh, but I always go back to the thing, you know, to spin everything back to the stuff that we're interested in, right? I thought about the question that I've asked before: How did people back then fight like that? You know, we look at modern cage warriors; we fight three five-minute rounds, five five-minute rounds, and that's considered the epitome of battle. And these assholes are running into battle with swords and shields. And it's- and, and it goes until it's over. And for 20 hours. Like, so I've, I've given this a lot of thought and I have a theory. And if you want to, we can field it. Okay? Plusification of the modern man? <laughs> no. Actually, my theory is it might be the opposite. Hmm. Okay. I think from what I understand about physiological structure and fitness at this point in my life, is that different levels of muscle not density value produce certain levels of 
inconsistency. Think of it like a motor. If I was to take my car, right, it has a 300 horsepower motor in it, which means that all the structures on the car are meant to handle 300 horsepower. The frame, the substructures, mm -hmm. transmission, everything. Right. Our bodies are the same way. If we're 150 pounds, which is probably the weight of an average male, and at that time they were probably five foot six or five foot seven, yep. there's a lot less physical stretch, stress on the physiological structure. So they're able to perform at a lower level of performance, but for a much longer duration of time. Hmm. And I think that when you look back and you think about the giants and the other people that they would send into battle, they were probably closer to what you would think of as modern warriors. They were physically superior, but they weren't designed to last. They were designed to take out 20, 30 people, take out an onslaught, and then fade out. And then they would send in waves like that. And so I think that the majority of the men were probably five foot four to five foot six, probably 135 to 155 pounds. And then the bigger humans that did exist at that time, they weren't fighting the same type of battles. I think the Vikings, when you look at the raiding and stuff, they weren't getting an all-out 20-hour wars, mm -hmm. but they were huge humans. And I think that's why they had a different fighting style. Comparatively. Comparatively. They oh, were yeah. like 5'9". No. Average yeah, you know, Viking, some of them yeah. were monsters. But, yeah, but yeah, average Viking was like 5'9". Like, like you said, if the average thing about this, the average male was 5'5 five, five to 5'6", five, and you're 5'9", mm -hmm. with like a stocky 5'9", mm -hmm. yeah, you're markedly bigger than oh. that guy and, you can, you, and they were high yeah. shit well you can they use were hopped myself, up on psychedelics you can, you can use <laughs> myself as an example i'm 5'8 i'm 185 pounds right Same. i fluctuate somewhere between 185 and 195. you stand me next to a six foot two 185 pound guy he looks huge compared to me in the same physical mass in you know size so yeah if somebody shows up and they're five six inches taller than you and they outweigh you by 50 pounds yeah jesus it christ they would feel like a monster yeah I, they there's like a they say size and weight like every 20 pounds takes a belt away it takes like a belt away yeah right mm -hmm. every 20 pounds they believe more on a, on a more even playing field yeah For, yeah you put me against larry i feel like Fucking like I've never done jujitsu yeah, before. Andy's good. Andy's, Andy's good. Andy's good. And that's what, so that's where like he's trained, right? He's trained. He's I would say pushing a blue belt. Yeah. And he's two hundred and sixty pounds. Right. That's a dangerous individual. He's I don't a monster. care who you are. Yeah. I don't care. He gets on top of you. If Larry had a mean bone in his body. And yep. he wanted to do it. He hard. wanted him to hurt somebody. Now restructure Larry. Make him an athletic 260 pounds. Yeah, that's a capable of doing damage. Yeah, okay, I had one of those today. <laughs> Good yeah, luck. You know, How was that? probably 225 yeah. in did, did, shape. Did, hey, did you take him to school? Absolutely. But absolutely. absolutely. Fuck yeah. Like, I only caught him once in each roll. And and I, only can only ca I could truly honestly only catch him once each roll in 10 minutes. He's already good. He was one of the he was one of the top guys there. And now he's training under a, a legitimate coach who has changed this man completely. This guy when I first met him rolled him. Who's he like, training under he now? Trained, he's training under Brian Studner out in uh, uh, Springfield BJJ. Okay. And Good program? Amazing program. They, okay. Like I've known him since I started training his coach and 
he's helped me through my jujitsu and well and we, we we talked about that last podcast or one of the podcasts how important coaches are right and then, the right coach makes all the difference yeah and he uh he came back and i'm like oh no this man's a, he's a he's different his jujitsu is different and then he came yeah. today and i was like oh he's like underneath me with some daily heva stuff and dude i'm like this is a 220 pound man and he could throw me on around and right. has before but now he's jujitsuing with me. He's playing the game with me, which makes him way more dangerous. And because at any time he doesn't have to play that game. Right. At any time he can say, you know what, I'm gonna be bigger and strong. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole another level change. Yeah. You know? Think about how it's like we started talking about the Spartans, right? And they were like one of very few cultures where they had. The pinnacle of the culture, their whole job was to warrior, right? Everything else was support. Like, they were infantry. They were, like, here's the elite infantry. Everything else is in support of that. That's all they did. They got up every day. Most cultures, they had to get up and do hunter-gatherer things or agrarian things or whatever. And then, like, think about the poor bastards in the Crusades. Hey, yeah, we know you've been a farmer, scraping by, doing whatever, just grinding out. Uh, go grab this forged axe and go fight. Yeah. To retake the and you're like, like even the knights. Okay, they grew up in royalty, whatever. They definitely had more formal training, and they were walking tanks or riding tanks. But most cultures didn't have that luxury, and now your average male in Western society, they don't do anything with combat arts, and they don't have, they don't even aren't, they don't have the toil of like daily labor. A lot yeah. of, many of them. I mean, they're like, there's still plenty of blue collar jobs that are plenty hard. Yeah. But the disconnect from any of that is kind of, I don't know. It's just wild to me when you think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay. Well, I do want to argue the about the being in battle for twenty hours. And I think that's where a lot of cultures lost because there were people such as the Spartans who had tactics such as like in their phalanxes they would rotate through. Yeah, the forward line of troops was rotating. They were rotating. They were when they were starting to get fatigued, they'd switch out that next line. And then they would switch out the next line. Every and they just keep that rotation going through however long. Whereas other people are throwing So you're essentially just doing interval training. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a giant interval. You just you just gotta your second, third and fourth stringer. Which and if you think about it in a series of rounds, could probably go for a very long time. Yeah. And I mean depending on how like I can't remember how thick a phalanx is. If you go to the front and to the back, it could be an hour before it's your turn again. Right. So it's, that comes back to my philosophy that I was developing for like self-defense. Become the baddest thing that you can possibly be for three minutes, five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Then that's all they would have to do. Survive. Three minutes, five, five minutes, minutes, rotate yeah. out. Boom. Yeah. You got 45 yeah. minutes to recover. You hit right. that next three to five minutes, you'd be 100%. I could go hours right. like that, even at my conditioning, I think, right now. Yeah. And, well, that, and then if well, I, like, you're going against guys who are just being pushed until, okay, you fall, so now there's a space to fill. It's not right. until you fall. 
and where they're going, I'm like, oh, I, I did my five, switch, and then, yeah, if you only have to survive for five minutes, I can survive for five minutes, I don't care who's on top of me. Right. Yeah. I, I, and well, ideally, you're not in a situation like that, hopefully. Right. You know, well, if, yeah. you have, if you have a Larry on top of you, and you see the clock, and there's five minutes left, and he's trying to choke you, mm. like, all I have to do is survive this five minutes, and I'm good to go. Right. But, you know, go ahead, you were going to make a point. No. I, the, I think the point is everything we don't know. We're going with the assumption that that happened for 20 hours. If you think about it, even in a lot of modern engagements, like think about our time in the Army, right? There's a reason we were still teaching the archaic concept of stand to, right? It used to laugh. I was like, the Indian, Indians are not attacking at dawn. Like, we're 100% right now, like, you know, because we own the night and whatever, and I'm like, this is kind of, like, archaic. Now, we did get attacked a lot in the morning, mm -hmm. still, but I'm like, it was based on the idea that, okay, it's starting to get dark in a lot of ways, and then they'd shut that off. Right. You know what I mean? And even if you look at, like, if you're talking about the Iliad or whatever, and you're reading, like, they'd bring their champion out because they'd be like, look... Let's let these two dudes sort out the outcome of this so there's not massive bloodshed. Like, all we have really are, like, historical documents and stuff, but Hollywood has painted a picture in our mind that might... Even if you look at a lot... You read a lot about, like, feudal Japan and the samurai battles, a lot of samurai wars were a lot of, like, one-on-one -on -one call outs. Mm -hmm. They really were. If you read about it, like, they said it honestly looked like a long, protracted fight card. Well, Or right. a duel. You know well, what I mean? Like, and you and you. It. Oh, you well, killed my buddies? No. They'd all back up, and then these two dudes you bring up. Off. You bring up a really good point. Think about modern battles, right? So I can look at the battles, and I, I've never done that, so maybe I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm not speaking out of context, but let's, like, look at the Battle of Alba Grave when the 101st dropped in. If we look at the historic longevity of that battle, I bet you they're going to say it lasted two days, three days, or whatever. They're going to have an hour marker. Sure. But the physical event of my portion of that battle was somewhere between 16 and 21 hours, right? And even then, that wasn't consistent fighting. You know, there was a lot of downtime, there was a lot of shifts and movements, and there was a lot of contact, and, uh, you know, there, there were ebbs and flows. There's ebbs and flows, yeah. right? So, personal experience is very, but if I was just looking at historical record, I would think, oh my god, how did those soldiers fight for three days? Well, we didn't fight for three days, not in that context. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's a great. Fighting, so the battle could have lasted 24 hours. The longest right. gun fight I've been in was six hours. Mm hmm. And. That's reasonable. And. Except at some point. And, I mean, there's guys who, like, you can look at sieges. Like, how do you how do you measure and quantify when the beginning was, when the end was? Like, I definitely know, right. hey, because even within that, there were ebbs and flows. They were reloading, moving stuff around, doing well, stuff. We were refitting, moving, doing even, stuff around. And but. even in an event things, like, you know, that's an interesting thing. And maybe you can explain this to me because I actually don't have the answer to it. So when I left in February of 2003... Somewhere in the, the May to July time frame, orders had came down and there was a call, and I remember it very clearly, or my memory remembers it as the end of the initial war effort. 
and they had changed the name of the operation. The operation going into that was Operation, oh, I, I'm not even going to try to guess. I don't want to be too wrong. But it was something. And then it switched over to Operation Enduring Freedom or whatever it became. But that initial war Iraqi effort, Freedom? Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. So, but well, I forgot what that initial war effort was. But I've never, and I've looked it up before because like, I was expecting to see something on my DD-214 about it, and it doesn't. It has the uh, it has the Operation Iraqi oh, Freedom, right? Yep. On my uh, on my DD two fourteen, but I don't find any historical record. But being there in the moment, I remember that. I remember that very clearly because they were debating at that time what to do with the war ribbons and service ribbons and how they were going to give those out. Yep. So and I ended up getting two. I have two campaign medals instead of one. Yeah, it's time. It's when stuff shifted and stuff. It's just right. So it, all that's kind of. Uh, I think it's funny. Would you cut me one of those little ones? Yeah, absolutely. Thank uh, you, sir. Um, You're a gentleman and a scholar. But, like, <laughs> maybe you think about, like, a battle, right, is till the person, the victor is victorious, right? So a right. person, you could have skirmishes, right, like those little engagements inside battles, right, skirmishes, is that the correct term? Yeah, right? sure. So skirmishes will last for... 20 hours. Right. But the bat or like, the skir- you'll have five minute skirmishes throughout a 20 hour period ebbed and flowed. And so, well, and, and it, so, I mean, I guess it's like, I feel like I could fight all day long if I only had to fight three minutes every little bit. Yeah. You know, well, I can unless I that. get caught, you know. But again, the bigger, heavier the fighter, the harder that's still going to be. Oh, of course. I'm going to have a much more difficult time doing that than you're going to. True. But that's why we would just use you for good, strong pushes for a minute, and then put you in the back. Well, and I'll say this though, like, like, oh, Anthony took out those twenty guys. Let's give, let's let if, him take a breather. If you were <laughs> next, <laughs> that's a lot. Good job. That's a lot. Pat him on the back. We'll take out those, you know, a few. We'll take some turns. If um, you were <laughs> fighting for your life, one, you'd use every tool available to you. Right. Now, if yeah. all you had was your hands and feet, yeah, you'd use your hands and feet, and there would be a much even with everything you know about jujitsu. You, would, I'm sure you would jujitsu, but you would also shove your thumb in their eyeball. Oh, you boy, would also boy. grab them by oh, the jaw oh, yeah. and rip, throw a chair and I, rip it off. Right. So my point is this, though: if you're talking about a physical hand-to-hand again, even when you think about the big clashes you would have in medieval times, right? Bam! They're slamming together. It's there's still that forward line. Mm-hmm. Now, the Spartans were more deliberate about it, and they were like, look, let's use these long spears. Let's use these thrown spears from behind. Let's have this staggered where we can have a forward push, and we can rotate back to the point you're talking about. But even when you had those big clashes of troops, they were the guys in the back. Now, mm-hmm. the guys in the front, they may get knocked down, they whatever, but if you were fighting for your life, like when we were doing the knife stuff the other day, can you imagine... For five minutes. I'm, I'm competent, not even for five minutes. You're talking like this is 30 seconds is a long time. Like they said, even mm-hmm. between master, oh, like yeah. master swordsmen in feudal Japan, yeah. uh, Miyamoto Musashi and uh, his greatest duel against the most reputable swordsman he faced, can't remember the guy's name, 
Musashi was already known he fought with two katanas. He was a huge Japanese man, right? He was so good he was willing, winning all of his duels with a boken. He quit using a real sword and was just cracking skulls with a wooden sword. He rode to this other island where he was supposed to meet the guy at dawn. Now this is one of the most reputable other, like, you're talking like uh, a Gordon Ryan and uh, what's his face? The fight they just did on Fight Pass. Nicky Rod. Nicky Rod, yeah. Like, it's like that, right? That level of, oh shit. He rode over to this other island overnight and on his way carved a boken out of an oar, ran up, threw another sword in the in the dirt at the guy's feet, yelled, cracked the dude's skull, and rode away. That was the number two. They said even like samurai, sometimes they'd both die. There was like one pass. They were so committed to the action they were doing. These long swordplay exchanges didn't happen. It wasn't a thing. <laughs> you know, like you even see the feudal combat things they do now. You'll see them jujitsu, and when they do, like it's over. a guy's thrusting a spear, and this dude parries with his sword, drops it, grabs the haft of the spear, ends up doing a judo throw, and then when the guy's on the ground, he pulls a knife out and he's shanking him like a prison fight. Because that's what real fights look like. Right. It's fast and it's over, and it's when we were doing room clearing when I first came back in the army we were doing it at this advanced skills center and they had us pugil sticks and headgear and everything and they were like hey you're going to go in team on team act like all your weapons went down and when you're on the ground you're out of the fight I sat there hitting myself in the head with hockey gloves on and getting hyped up because I already knew I'm like I'm not using this like a bayonet I ran in one man into the room parried this aside and I threw my pugil stick at another dude he blocked I parried his stick down, grabbed him by the front of the cage, and beat the brakes off this guy. Just punched him in the head. Grabbed him like a hockey fight. Boom, boom, dropped him, hit another guy, hit a blast double on this dude into the wall. Nobody knew what to do. Everybody on the catwalk was just going, oh my god. I wasn't fighting the traditional, oh, you're in basic training with your pugil sticks. I didn't care about any of that. I'm like, it's a fight. My job is to get them on the ground. They're getting out. They weren't ready to be punched in the head. You, you, you know what I mean? And that's how real... It's over in seconds. Like, you get stabbed. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Like, the triangle thing I showed you. You do a pass with a knife. I don't care how slick your triangle is. You get stabbed in the taint. <laughs> You're letting go of that triangle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man. There is something fundamentally wrong with you. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> Just the, the animation in your face. This is what I wish we had some video. Wow. Noted. The excitement. That's awesome. I didn't know if you were going to kiss me or rape me. I was like, this is getting awkward. He's enjoying this way more than any human should. No, it's just... Uh, no, it's He's just... passionate about the, the sake of, like, it's that fast. It doesn't... Right? Well, that's why when you're training with people, that's why I can get out there and, like... When you roll with me, I'm talking, I'm having a good time because we talked about it. Like, the it's game on time to kill you time, that's a different person. Like, when it's that kind of for real, that's it. And a lot of people say that and it's stupid. Oh, I see red, man, and I just whatever. It's not really that. It's just because most people don't really mean that. No, man. That's no. their excuse for well, not The well, majority of the population, myself included, have never 
no, had to be well, in a situation like I, that. Yo, I, I think... I'd like to talk on this. Can I talk on this for a second? Yeah. Here's my thing. I believe a lot of things. And, and I have a philosophy that I use in business that's, that I'm going to apply to this so that it makes a little more sense. I will tell people when they come in to do a job, I can always train you to do a job, but I can't train you to be a good worker. Right? Your work ethic and the things that make you a quality worker are really specific to you. I can't teach you that. Right? Maybe if I could, had enough time in the right environment, but let's just face it, I just can't. Being a fighter is one of those things. Oh, yeah. You can train martial arts. You can train to punch people in the face. You can train to defend yourself. But there is something inside of a person that you're either a fighter or you're not. And that is, and it's a switch. It's something that happens. And everybody's is different. But there are people who just don't have that. Yep. And it's missing. And everything looks exactly the same to this very critical moment. And then you go, yes, you're not it. Dude, you're not the guy. I fucking... I seen that when I went to Iraq. Did I see how many motherfucking times I've tried to kill people in competition and just don't? <laughs> like, come on. I don't get it. The moment for me, the moment for me was February 2003. Maybe it was March. I don't really remember the dates all that well. We had just broke the berm, and we were traveling through uh, the desert, and we were coming up into um, southern Iraq, and we were just outside of, uh, oh, I don't remember all the town names. I don't think we were more than a couple of days from Nasiriya at that point. You know, we were still actually, um, we, I had a 60 class, and we had some Miklicks attached to it, so we were on heads, and we were being headed out. And uh, so it was me and my driver, and we're sitting up there, and we're on the thing. And, and I mind you, the mindset of who I am at this point, because I think this is critical to the story. Um, in high school, I was an athlete. I was not a fighter. I had done some judo. I wrestled in school. I did a short stint of some traditional martial art, like a Kaiokukushin kind of thing. Um, but I was not a fighter. I'd never been in a fight. Never was in, like, engaged... I had done some company-level self-defense uh, boxing stuff in the Army, but yeah. I would not describe myself as a combatant-type person. I was not a martial artist. And I naturally have a fear of conflict, so when I would run into con conflict situations, I could just talk my way out of it, and I could avoid conflict. So now somebody who's never actually been in a real physical fight, right? And so here I am. I'm on a head. And I'm terrified. I'm thinking, like, you know, what's going to happen when we get shot at? How's this thing going to go down, you know? And I'm looking off into the distance, and I'm watching this firefight happen up in front of us. And, you know, when you're in the desert, things look a lot further away. So, you know, it's like 20, 30 miles or something like that. And I'm watching, like, these tracer rounds go off in the distance. And, you know, and I was talking to my driver, and I was telling him, I was like, man, you know, that's kind of actually pretty in a weird way. You know, the tracer fire and the light and everything. I said, this is actually kind of a very surreal but beautiful scene. And then uh, I hear this, boom. And I was like, oh, what the hell was that? That was kind of weird, you know. And I look around at him and we hear, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, started getting more. And I was like, that is the, I thought it was a bug. 
you know, I was like, I'm looking around for like flies and shit, like trying to figure out like what's going on. And the next thing you know, I hear, whoa, and it goes, ding, 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 dong. And I was like, oh shit, we're getting shot at. <laughs> and like that flip, that switch flipped, and I got immediately angry. The intense anger that I felt was like nothing I'd ever experienced in my life. There was no fear. There was no like, oh shit, somebody's going to shoot me. It was just like, you go from clueless to boom. And that's when I knew I had the stuff. Because not everybody around me did that. There's some of the guys, and it's funny, some of the hardest gangsters, you know, the guys that lived in Philly and all this shit, right? <laughs> um, the gang banging this motherfucker. We had this one guy, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but he's a rapper now. Okay, pretty famous too, like like amateur level famous, right? This motherfucker, as soon as the shots started firing, he drops back in a one one three. He's in the back of the one one three in the fetal position, fucking crying like a baby. It was like, dude, you talk about getting shot out all the time. He's like, not not bullets like this, man. These guns are bigger, man. He's fucking crying. I'm like, oh my god, and it is just incredible as an experiment to watch the different levels of human reaction in that environment. I, because I, it's, yeah. it gets, the extremes are interesting. I think we talked about this maybe this week or last week uh, where I said you never know. You never know the guy who, because I've seen guys who were rock star. Like, okay, so when I first came in, going to ranger school was the standard, right? Because at the time... We hadn't been to war since Somalia, mm -hmm. really, and it was the only way they could figure you would be a good leader in combat because of induced stress, sleep deprivation, and, and food deprivation, right? So, like, ranger school, ranger school, ranger school. Well, then guys started going to war and having combat. It quit becoming a thing for a while because of back-to-back -back deployments, and nobody quit caring. It's like, look, man, I passed the test. I don't need this bullshit. Whatever. Right? <laughs> right? So... Uh, like we were saying the other day, yeah, you'd have guys who maybe a rock star, and then you'd go there and they'd nut up. Yeah. And I remember where there was one guy, like objectively in the unit, he was just kind of like a cool party kid and, and whatever. But nobody, everybody thought he'd be anything. And like literally, yeah. when a striker was his striker was blown up, and they were still in contact, and it's on fire. Like there's pictures somewhere. And it was in another platoon. It was a former squad leader of mine who was the platoon sergeant because he got blown up. They were evac and all them. They're pulling these guys out of a burning vehicle. And literally, he's on a striker. The remote weapon station's dead. He's flipped the locks on it. He's free gunning a 50 cal, standing up under fire. And there's a picture with flames coming up through his hatch between yeah. his legs as he's free gunning this gun, driving the right. enemy back. And. Would have been unassuming, you know what I mean? If you look at, like, Audie Murphy, mm -hmm. right? The guy's, like, multiple Medal of Honor winner. They made movies about him, all this other shit. He's a tiny dude. Right. Tiny little... If you look at pictures of him, you're like, get the fuck out of here. That dude has stacked more bodies than you have cordwood. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's is the human fight, man. It's insane. You but never you know, know. I realized that, like, when I went to... When, when I was in Iraq, you know, some of those hardcore sergeants that you got, the guys that are just drills man you know some of those guys push the fuck out some of those guys were what they said they were fucking are right mm -hmm. and 
that that reminds me of like what Jermaine, one of Jermaine's famous quotes that I've adopted that I try to live my life by is he goes, my greatest, uh, what did, how did he say it? He goes, one day somebody is going to test you for what you claim to be. Right? And in that moment, man, and there's this one E7, and I forgot, I think he was in 270th Armor, I don't remember where he came from to be fair, he may have been an infantry, may have been a 141. But man, this crazy motherfucker, we were in, I forgot what battle it happened in, but I remember seeing him, we were coming out, and this is after we dropped the 60s, and I had this woman 3, and I was coming off, and it's tail gunner on it, and this guy is standing up in this berm, middle of this gunfight, right, and he's walking this berm, screaming and yelling like old school colonial style, you know, and uh, made it, never got touched, crazy son of a bitch, man, but yeah. He, like, lost his shit, had some type of death wish. But, you know, what's interesting about that, like what Sam was saying, I reflected on that story. It's because, like, there's a guy that's never seen combat. Even as an E7 at that point, that was our first actual firefights that occurred in military histories other than the Gulf War. So unless that guy had seen actual combat in the Gulf, which he could have, but still it had been 15 years, that was a you very, know, that was a and, very, that was and, a very different. And so all those guys at that moment, at that time, were very just green. They nobody had a clue how they were going to actually react under fire. And it was it was really interesting to see the difference. But yeah, when you take that back to fighters, I just don't think you can train that. I think you can develop it. I think you can get it over time. I think in in a long enough period of time in an environment like that, you can you can develop it. You can foster as much of that spark that is already in them that is there. Because first of all, if they're there, that spark is probably in them. Like, if you look at the guys who... I saw this statistic somewhere. They were talking about guys who successfully made it through Delta Selection. They said there tended to be, like, guys who had a proclivity for either being endurance athletes, endurance runners... Uh, fighters, like boxers or Muay Thai guys, or uh, there was one other one, but all of them were like hard things, right? People who are willing to endure suffering um, because eventually, like a lot of people may want it, and they may show up initially and be like, I really want to do this. If they don't find that spark or they can't, it could be just a little ember, but they could foster it enough to make it something probably. You know what I mean? I, they did a study somewhere. I can't remember who did it, but they talked about the different uh, the comparisons between shame and fear of death. And they said I can't remember where it was, but they literally said the fear of shame is actually worse than the fear of death. Oh yeah, I agree with that. I, yeah, one you have to live with, the other one you don't. Yeah. But you know, I want to backtrack for a second. Um, you know, I was thinking about what you were just saying about mindset and how important the mindset is to the warrior, right? Everybody has a certain level, it's like any natural ability. Everybody has different degrees, right? Intelligence, whatever. And so, one of the things that's always question marked me, like I was in the military, uh, I was a combat engineer, and uh, definitely, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a good soldier, but regardless of whether I was a good soldier or not, the, the job was difficult, right? And I did some pretty heroic shit when I was in the Army. But I always kind of wondered, like, what was the difference between, like, me 
and like the special forces guys, like the guys that go to Delta Selection and shit. And the one thing that I enjoy about being in the martial arts world is over time I got to kind of figure that out, right? And me and Sam are a great example of this. And I think this applies to the switches as well. I noticed the other day when I was reflecting on this topic, uh, me and Sam train together. And when you train with Sam, there's a certain level of intensity that Sam brings to every training session. He just turns it on, right? It's at the level at which he trains. And then I look at myself and I see the level at which I train, which is significantly lower than where Sam trains, right? I, I coast a lot, I'm kind of lazy. So my training level is usually on the lower end. And the difference is Sam and I both have switches. But when I think about that from a fighting standpoint, and I realized that the other day when I was sparring with Ethan, the attitude that I go into an engagement with is really kind of low key. I have to be pressed into a space of discomfort and then maybe almost even hurt before that switch flips for me. I can't just turn that killer mode on it's got to be triggered, right? And that is a, and without that, I'm relatively lazy, a little more low speed. Sam's is more on key, and then his is more triggered. He has more deliberate, like he can turn that switch and I can see it. And that's the difference. I've seen the special forces guys, they can turn that switch anytime. That's when I was training Joe the other day and I told you that. So the first times we trained together, we were doing clinch work, and we were simulating elbows and working around, and he had moved to the right when I went to simulate an elbow, and I caught him. And the look that came back was instant, like that switch flipped, and I was like, oh, fuck, we're doing this. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, we're taking this ride, you know? But it was, and then to watch him get control of it, respect, but Jesus Christ, did that happen quick. That would not have happened to me. There is a difference. See, that's weird because I feel like I, I, I don't know. It's weird that that's your take on it because I kind of feel I'm not that intense. Uh, Says all the intense guys. No, 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 no. I mean, says all the guys that wreck you when we leave the gym. No, because I told we talked about it and I said, you know, that's why. Uh. Like, I can go hard getting somebody ready. If I get caught, I get caught. I've been hurt worse training with Sam, friends. Sam, let me challenge you. Let me challenge you. Have you retold a story about a training session that you've been involved yet that you haven't said, and we got after it? <laughs> and then we got after it. No, no. Wait, I mean, it, it's, one. It's, no, no, no. One. It's a... It's a no. I, I think that'll be individually, like, who you're training with. I don't... Uh, like, okay. And the other night, so every we time, got after it. And the other night, we got after it. Well, I'm all, well I'm Sam the, and I don't get after no, it. No, no, no. But I'm always there to do work. But, like, if we're, if we're going, and I catch you, and I know I catch you even a little, I'm like, oh, are you okay, right? Like, but I don't... High intensity, the, it's, there's the, no when the, when the, when right. the, yeah. yes. High when intensity, the, low aggression. I can have high intensity, low aggression. The, well, so my guys but, used, my well, guys well, used well, to tell well, me this. No, no, I think I need to reframe my, my thing. The high intensity is part of that. That's the area that I actually struggle with the most. Like, so I'm going to, like, and maybe this will help other people out there. I have been doing fitness 
in some form or the other relatively consistently for 25 years okay yeah. now have there been break periods of course right lazy periods injuries you name it but I have consistently always followed this ebb and flow I get into working out my intensity level progresses as I start getting in shape I get at some point I get to a high level of intensity to where I feel like I'm really training at, a, at an optimum level and I'm seeing gains and then what happens is the motivation the next time I go down to the gym because I've been hitting such hard workouts the motivation to get started to do the next workout starts to become that's the hurdle I can't get over I can't get myself going right and so that drive to meet that intensity that's what separates those super successful guys like I follow one of these uh, one of the guys that I follow for weightlifting advice on YouTube uh, Ryan I believe it's Huntington he's one of the best guys that I've ever listened to but one of the things that he is able to do consistently is maintain that ferocious intensity through every workout for 10 years and when right. you can do that, the results are unbelievable. But you get it. But you take somebody like myself, and then what would happen is I would push it to the point to where it would result in injury, and then I would come off, right? But see, I, I feel like I've learned. I've learned myself though that the key to consistently working out is to actually lower the intensity. And just to ebb and flow my intensity based on my personal feelings. So I feel like for you, like, it, uh... I'm lazy. No, 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 not at all. No. I'm a stoner. That's I my was, problem. I was it's gonna, the weed. No, I, I was going to say... It. Oh, no, because you're not lazy you, and you're more of a you stoner. Can, you I can tell you don't see it, but what I've seen is when, when the Rev is here to do work... You're there to do work, and that intensity, that energy is different. So, yeah. two examples. The night. Unless it's two examples. The night. <laughs> no, he'll st he'll still do it, and then he's like, "Wow, wow, did the professor just call me out?" Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, but anyway, Fuck. so the can't night, even argue. The night you were getting it in with pad work, and then we start doing stuff, and now you wave me over, and you're like, "All right, we're tired, but we're doing clinch work." Right. You. You had intensity, and we oh, yeah. and we both got it in. And at the end of it, that's why we were collapsing, dead tired. And we're like, we're taking our time getting ready for jujitsu because we're done, right? Same thing when we were sparring. Your first round was okay, but you came out the second round, and how you were throwing and everything. Tell me I'm wrong. There was definitely an intensity difference from you. When. When we were working, when we were working, the last, the last morning I can tell when you're doing the be lazy thing and when you're like, okay, now we're doing this. Like the one where you hit me with the switch and I said, you said jabs, and you're like, I I switched. I go, that was a cross. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I and I and I could see how my demeanor may make you say that, and I'm I'm always if I'm going to train, I'm going to be serious. I can have a good time to be serious, but when I say the intensity difference for me. 
it's no, it's the intention, I think, probably. Yeah. Because yeah. It's to get the workout. If the, right, the workout. but if yeah. it, like, for instance, if I think a person's trying to hurt me, you guys haven't seen that yet, and I don't want you to. Oh, no. Uh, because yeah. then it becomes... I try I, to hurt you a lot. Great. No, no, no. All right, perfect. Tell me I know. Not really. Or you would have. Or you would have. Yeah. No, okay. Or you would have. I mean, like, hurt you is different than injure you. I try to hurt you. I try to hurt your feelings. I try to hurt your your body. I'm putting me on belly. I'm trying to make you hurt. I'm dropping elbows in your back. We're doing stuff that's hard where where that can happen. But my my point is so, is it's a the intention behind yeah. the hurt. Yeah, intention. Yeah, I know. So, I know what you're yeah. so here's yes. an interesting question. Exactly that. Because I, I was my just thinking about this. I, I was just thinking about this from my perspective. Right. How much yeah. of your confidence in your ability to defend yourself, whether it be self-view or just self-confidence, comes from the fighter in you? Your faith in that person. That is, uh, okay, that's a thing like I've had with myself before, right? Um, my confidence in my self-defense I before I started martial arts I had always kind of thought I was okay and I had been in fights and I had you're a man I had lost fights and I had won fights mm-hmm. um, majority lost but I felt like I wasn't not confident enough to say something if I felt I needed to say something or like defend myself until I went into a jiu-jitsu gym <laughs> yep and the person who had been training one year made me look like a baby. Made right. me feel like a baby. Isn't that crazy? Made, had so much fun at in the whole moment of him murdering me. It hurt so bad, and I walked away going, I know nothing, and I'm terrified. Right. Yeah. Someone can do that to me. At least that happened to you before you had trained in something where you See, thought See, that's what I'm saying. Like, I've been in fights where I had to have people pull people off of me. Right. Where I will get my sh- like shit beat, right? I'm face fucked up, sure. and I still was like, I can fight if I have to. And then I realized I really know nothing. Well, I it, really know nothing because he didn't, he didn't hit me. What right. did, what did he I didn't say? have to hit me. Right. He didn't have to do anything but hug me in whichever way he wanted to, manipulate me like murder yoga. And there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do. I'm like, oh my god, if this guy wanted to hit me, so here, that's even here was my, <laughs> oh my here was my big turning moment. I'm 25 years old. Okay, I've been back from Iraq for like two years, and uh, I'm living in this trailer. And there's this old retired couple living next door to us, and he's probably in his mid 50s. I think he was a retired police officer or something like that. And we were having altercations, and anyway, it got to the point to where the police got called and all this stuff, and um, he got really belligerent, and, you know, um, it, it was a scene. And my neighbor came over, and my neighbor was like, you know, he knew I was ex-military and all this other stuff, and I'd been to Iraq, and he's telling me about, like, how I could have murdered that guy, and how I probably got killed him with one punch, and they taught me all this stuff, and he's lucky I didn't do anything, you know. And of course, like all guys, I didn't tell him he was wrong, you know. But it really got me to thinking. <clears throat> and I was like, man, 
I have no idea how to defend myself. All these people think I'm this tough guy. And, like, reality is I can't do anything. And at this time, I had two little kids. So my babe, my kids were real infants. And I realized, that like, I can't defend my family. I can't confidently defend myself. How can I defend my family? And so that's what spawned me to, like, go, I need to learn, like, what to do with this. Because I have no training. Right. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but this is my perspective even with guys in the military, right? Specifically, I mean, I did 21 years surrounded by a bunch of alpha types in a career field where the job description is to go kill other people. And a good portion of that was guys who had either done it or been in an environment where they would... They did it as a group or they may have done it as an individual. But even then, it's kind of like that old... uh, quote, you know, out of, in war every hundred guys shouldn't be there. Basically like 10% make the fight and then there's the one there's out of every hundred. Yeah. Like you have ten warriors and then you have one like Achilles, right? Yeah, like me. Got yeah, it. sure. Check. Um, <laughs> no, but even 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 back here uh, the I, I've seen guys come back who are like Man, I've been to war. I can handle whatever. And they ride that out, and they talk a big game. And some of them, I think, even think it. It's a lot of posturing, and they like throw to, the, to throw that out because other men may not have pushed themselves, or not even not pushed themselves. They may not have experienced that. But in reality, I see it on social media all the time, and I absolutely hate it. I see some of the guys who friends with on social media who talk the biggest game about how they'll do X, Y, and Z, and I'm like, you were garbage in the unit we were in. You were not somebody who we were throwing in on the A game to go after the worst dudes if it was coming in the door. Right. That wasn't you. You were in the back, in the rear with the gear, and now you're shooting off with the mouth. And it goes back to what I said before. Like, even in the military, I was a combatives trainer, right? And I cared about my craft and honing it and everything else. And in my unit, combatives tournaments, jujitsu based, I tap guys in my company. I, I trained to do jujitsu gym for can, one month. Can I sidebar for a second? Because I really want to say something, not just for us, but for the, the audience. Yeah, sure. Okay. And that's because the story gets bigger. This is what's going on with guys. The story gets bigger when you can change the environment. That happened to me. You know, I'm going to tell a story of myself. So when I was a kid, I was a really cocky, arrogant kid. Um, I was a typical, um, yeah, I'll take a little bit more. I was a a typical jock, hometown hero kind of thing, right? And then I went into the military, and then I became that, like, hero to, like, zero, right? All of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God, everybody else is a hometown hero, too, right? But to get back on track, one thing that... um, Oh, I kind of sidebarred myself. Damn it. Hold on a second. I gotta get my train of thought back. You're a zero to hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> no uh, hero to zero. Hero to zero. Yeah. Did I say that? Oh, I said it backwards. Yeah. Oh, the changing environment. So when I went into the when I went into the army, I realized coming from high school, well, you know, I wasn't the most popular guy in school. I didn't have the prom queen. I didn't do all of these things. And everybody in your hometown environment knows that shit. You can't just go around and start making up stories, but when you get to the army, I can tell you whatever I want. So I did. 
I lied about everything. I made up like this. I fabricated this entire person of who I was that I wanted everybody to know. And then I told, and then here's the fucked up part. I got good at lying so I could keep repeating the same story. I re, and what I would do, but, and how I do that is I visualize the story and then I would come up with a lie to go along with the visualization so I could tell it the same way every time so people wouldn't know I was lying. I looked very honest. But then the problem is, is over time, once you do that long enough, you don't know what's real and what's not. You change your own memory. So now I have this like yeah. six year period of my life that I have memories of events that I actually don't know if they happened or if they didn't. I don't know what's fabricated and what's not. I know a few because they're just blatant lies, right? But some of them, I'm like, shit, I'm just close enough, right? But so these guys that are getting out of the military, they're changing their environment. And they're getting out here. And you're right. They weren't the heroes in the army. But guess what? Now, now I'm a fucking SEAL Delta Ranger CV, right? So, uh, and they're at the fucking local bar telling their goddamn stories because they can be heroes here because nobody knows any better. They don't know that when they went to Iraq, they sit in a fucking kitchen. I've met right? more Navy SEALs. That I've was my rant. Thank you. I felt good. It more felt good, people. Navy SEAL. Uh, well, example, the guy we got threats with threats oh, with at the business the last week. He counters with after a bunch of stuff. I was Marine Special Force. First of all, I met this guy. Obviously, he was in the shop before. And I he's was SEAL Delta Ranger Recon. He's so. making threats, and I'm like, I know Marine Special Forces, guys, cause, and they don't call themselves that. They call themselves... Marine Special Operations, MARSOC, Raider, Joe. Yeah. Joe, who I didn't know knew anything. The first night I saw him at the gym, I'm sitting on the bench, dropping my bag, getting ready to warm up as soon as the kids are done, getting my stuff on, and out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, hey, how you doing? He's like, pretty good. And I'm sitting there, and out of the corner of my eye, I'm looking at him, and the look on his face, that's what I tell people all the time, usually within meeting somebody, within about five I say minutes, maybe seconds. I may not know what they did, but I can at least tell, is are they a real one or not? I look at him and I'm like, yep, dude was something. And I look down mm -hmm. at his boots, I think he's wearing, or his shoes, he's wearing Solomon's. I kind of looked at his watch, I'm like, this guy's former something military, almost can guarantee it. And then, he comes in one day, AS on his shirt, and I see something else, I'm like, yeah, there's more to this. The first night he showed up from Muay Thai, and he pulls his shorts off, and I see a Raider tattoo. I go, yeah, makes sense. You know, no surprise, <laughs> nothing else. I was just like, called it. Not a well, doubt in my mind. So when I see these guys who go out there, because here's the thing, if you're in a bar and you're like, it's almost funny. Like, you, you can't see the, fake it. You see the movie tropes where it's like mm -hmm. the guy in jail, right? And it's like, oh, he's a kung fu man, and everybody's afraid of him because he's crazy, right? It's the same thing as these assholes who are out there wearing way too many grunt style shirts talking shit about a lot of stuff they never well, did. Think about it. How long did you know me before I ever even mentioned the military to you? I think we were even on the range before I even told you I was in the army. No, you and I, the first night, it was after you said, hey, let's do self-defense stuff. It was right before we were doing steering wheel and all this other stuff, and you and I were in line. We had already gone through once. And uh, it was before you started running the program down at the gym. It was right oh, okay. before that started. And you mentioned something, because I, I said something, and then you were like, 
oh yeah, what'd you do? And they were like, yeah, I was a sapper. And I was like, yeah, I could see that. We talked briefly, and then you were like, hey, you two come out, put gloves on, and start hitting people. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, that's the chain of yeah, events fair. that night. He says he doesn't remember shit. Yeah. I don't remember. Look. You know what my favorite thing is, though? I'm going to talk about Joe for a minute. Joe's a unique human. And let's get rid of this. I don't care how qualified he is. I don't care if he's good, if he's not. I, I, none of that matters. His, what he has been able to craft as a persona is my favorite thing about oh him. Oh, my God, yeah. He, he walks, is he just... the most intimidating motherfucker. Like, look. I don't even get intimidated by people. I'm a pretty self-confident guy to the point of almost borderline arrogant, right? You can beat my ass, but I'm not intimidated by you. There's something about that guy. He gets to me and he intimidates me. Like, he's an intimidating human. And I love that. It's like, holy shit, from the, the his look to his demeanor to the way he speaks to his tone and his... Dude, yeah. he's like crafted this perfect like he's like, nice, he's, like a fucking movie character. Yeah. he's like a movie character. He's like a movie character. He's like somebody with a goddamn movie. I, like, I can I see that, but like I met his family first. Oh, okay. And they're the complete polar opposite. Dude, the he polar is one hundred percent mechanical man. There are some and guys who, if you know guys who, I don't care how nice they are, if you meet some tier one guys. You meet any tier one guys? I have chargers down here if you need them. Yeah, I'm gonna need it. I gotta call. Yeah. I gotta do a call, but I have one percent. Have you uh, tell me to do this? Do this. Just send them a video of that. I should, but what's that called? The what? The crotch? The X? Yeah, well, yeah. it's called something. Uh, like 1996. You guys were like 16, right? You guys need your glasses? Here you go. Bifocals, bitch. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, I'm gonna smoke another joint. Uh, That's my goal. Uh, you're ahead of me, huh? Or was that other one just tobacco? It was just tobacco. I need a plug. Oh, well, then I'll just get ahead of you. It'll be fine. It's all good. You share it. Yeah. That's my goal. I wanna, get, I wanna look like Joe. How do you do that? Just don't talk. You think you can mimic that? Mm -hmm. just, just, just stop talking? Just stone cold everybody? And aware of everything? All of <laughs> everything. Every detail. You're like that speck of dust in the corners out of place. Yeah. Well, it... But he also makes you feel safe. Oh, yeah. He's super <laughs> trusting. I really like the guy. Yeah, I do too. I like he's a great family. human. Um, he, he makes me feel dumb, and I'll explain to you his why. His kids make me feel dumb. As we're sitting here with, with a podcast going and our job is to do nothing but talk, he makes me feel dumb because... He chooses his words so carefully, and he doesn't speak unless he feels like he has something to say. His educate his is he's very educated. He's incredibly intelligent, and his word choice is so purposeful. And it makes me feel unintelligent when I'm around him because I feel like I just ramble. Like I put out all of unimportant information, and then he's just yeah. He's just streamlined. I think he's just streamlined his life so much that it affects his personality. Right? The epitome of efficiency. The epitome of efficiency. 
I, uh, but to that point, how he is, and how, I would never hear you shooting off at the mouth at a bar. No. Right? Not a million hear, years. I might hear you talking to me in a Boston accent in Honolulu, <laughs> talking shit. No, That's why but, I don't drink. No, but here's the thing: you wouldn't. <laughs> but you wouldn't deliberately. Pick, <laughs> that would be You funny. deliberately wouldn't pick a fight with the funny. intent to hurt someone. It's Never. like I I'm said. Not, all the time. I'm not intentionally picking a fight. How many times how have you heard talking. me say all men think they're good at three things, and most of them aren't good at any of them? Right. I got a solid two, but I'll let you guess which. Right. I think I'm pretty solid in all three. I no, no, here's the thing, I, though. I think I, I'm at least average. Because you do the work. Get reps. Get it's reps. It's all... I'm a jack of all trades. A jack. <laughs> uh, but, it's, but it's a thing that, like you said, it, you know what? I equate, to go back to the guys, a lot of guys, not all, there's some serious... There's some serious body stackers walking around who... Nobody knows. I have a really good friend of mine. We're just going to call him Chuck. He's going to seminary right now. He probably should have been the sergeant major of the Army. Most One of the most squared away, helpful, good humans you've ever met. Mm-hmm. Also a sniper. Also a ranger instructor. Right. If you met him, you'd never know it. Well, isn't that the beauty? If you allow yourself to just be yourself then you will naturally gravitate to whatever mm-hmm. personality characteristics are defining to you. And right? the, and whether the, that be the super hardcore or the super soft. You can still be... A, I can be a super soft guy. I can cry at a Disney movie and hug you mm-hmm. and, and you know and say I love you or whatever and still be a killer. Well, mm-hmm. that's the thing about... I don't have to be one or the other. There's that thing when Jordan Peterson's talking about dangerous people he knows, right? Like Jocko, like he's like talking about interviews with Jocko and stuff, and he's like, you know, a, a helpless good man, or is a, I can't remember how he phrased yeah, it. Yeah, I know the thing. I know you know exactly what I'm mm. talking about, and I'm trying to not mess it up for the everybody listening, but uh, a dangerous a dangerous, dangerous good, good man, man a man who is dangerous, who has it in check, who is good, mm. is a better man than a, than a weak man, man who is not dangerous. Right. Because you've if you can tame your inner beast and the because think about it, if every dangerous man was just exercising those things to exert control because they could, man, what would what world would we live in? It'd be terrible. Mm. Right? Um, well it's it's my it's my comfort and my confidence in my ability to protect myself you know I think that's the one thing and I'll mention that real quick that's the one thing I think gets misunderstood and, I, and I'm glad this is for the podcast self defense people ever always think self defense is about beating someone up and they don't realize it has nothing to do with that it has the ability to not get hurt you take a big guy let's say you take somebody six foot five, 300 pounds and you say can I kick his ass I don't know. Fuck, that's a lot of dude. I don't even know if I can hurt him, right? But here's something I can confidently say. I know he can't hurt me. I can do what I need to do to make sure that he can't hurt me. I'm going to walk away from that engagement roughly the same way that I walked into it, right? And I at least have the possibility of winning. 
that's never off the table, right? So, but that confidence in that ability allows me to be soft. Well, what it because I don't have to be hard. I don't have to that fear. You know, you guys included. You guys included some of the guys I'm closest to. I have no problem saying, "Hey, man, love you." Not even a thing. Not the the typical male like toxic masculinity like you talked mm. about before. Like it doesn't even factor in bother me any of those. Well, any sure, of sir. any of those things. I'll roll another one if you want. I rolled that real light. I can roll another one and we can share them. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, and I I really feel that like to your point, like defending yourself, you know, you like talking about law enforcement because we have guys, you know, whatever, who look for training and other stuff or, or people in departments do and then guys don't show up because they're afraid to push themselves. But you have small feet like Jack. She's like, I don't get it. I'm this small hundred some pound female and I train for something that is a low probability of happening to me. And there's there's people who we pay to be out there and be protectors who have a high probability because they encounter these dangerous situations every day and they don't train or protect themselves. But it's because there's this veneer where because of status or whatever, people are protected. Uh, not protected, but the consequences well, That's are a concept that I think a lot of people have gotten wrong, right? One of the things that I think people look at, they don't do their risk analysis correctly. And when you look at, I understand there's some things, and I don't want this to necessarily apply to like doomsday prepping, but when you look at the possibility of getting raped, the possibility of getting assaulted, relatively high, rare, but the probability is still high, yeah. okay? Now, let's look at it, risk versus reward. If that was to occur, how bad is that scenario? Well, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's a 10. In that scenario, that's a fucking problem, mm -hmm. right? So how much of my passive time am I going to dedicate to preparing for something that, if it does occur, it's is a, a catastrophe? Right. Okay? That's not a waste of time. But so many people view that as a waste of time because, oh, I'm never going to use this. But here's the problem. I'd much rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So when Absolutely. I was at the at the traumatic brain injury clinic going through psychotherapy, I went in there one day and my psychotherapist, I remember, I made the comment that, I'm like, yeah, I carry a gun every day. I don't remember how it came up. But uh, I said every day that I can because I'm on an army base, you're not supposed to bring them on base, that base is really restrictive, so. But every other time, she goes, do you really think you need to do that? And I said, well, I, I guess that depends how you define need. I said, do you think your house is gonna burn down tomorrow? She said, no. I said, do you have a fire extinguisher? She said, yeah, I said, why? She's like, well, because my house burning down would be terrible and I want to be able to stop that. I said, okay. I said, in the same way, I have a fire extinguisher. I said, do you wear a seatbelt? She says, yeah. I said, what's your probability of being in a fatal car accident? Right. You do that. I said, I also wear a seatbelt. I also have a aid bag in my car so I can help if I come across a bad car accident. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I want to be able to affect negative outcomes in a positive way. It's the same people I train now. I know a lot of guys, I have a lot of retired friends, obviously, from the Army, and they're like, dude, I don't know, man, I wouldn't do that. And, uh, like, you're retired, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, you never know when a bad situation is going to come your way, whatever that is, home invasion. Mm-hmm. You don't have a you don't have an you don't have a hundred percent guarantee of any positive outcome, but I can tell you this: if I had a home invasion and it did not go my way, I could be knocked down on the ground, bleeding out, hearing my wife and daughter, God knows, being what done to them, and I could go to meet the Creator, mm-hmm. at least with a clean conscience, knowing I did everything I could. Well, that's the same within my power. Same thing I tell people because that's what they've always asked me. They said, you know, you're such you're so traditional with like Muay Thai or whatever. How come you still practice like gun takeaways and things like that? You, you said, you know, you even admit that they probably won't work. Yeah, I don't care. I would rather have a fifty percent chance of something. I would rather die trying than die with my hands up, going, "Please don't shoot me." Right. Fuck that. But if I'm going to see the opportunity, I'm going to take it. Whether at least, second and at least I'm going to train it to where, what, you know what, if I can do it five out of ten times, great. If I can do one it more than ten. that, great. <laughs> if it has a chance me. of working, we're going to employ it. Well, <laughs> you know. what about we're, we're building the course, mm-hmm. working on positional stuff, like, okay, let's run it. How many times were we like, shit, yeah. trade places, and then you're like, here, and then all of a sudden we'd have... Jason walk in the gym and you were like, hey, come here. Let's pressure test this because that's part of the problem. You look at like... I might have... I'm like handing it off. I did that the other night. Ethan was here and it was me and Michelle and Ethan. And man, I was... I I set my intentions to get fucked up. It was one of those times where I was like, I was ready to get super stoned. And I was like this and then I was just like... And he's standing there and he's looking at me and he goes... How stoned are you? And I was like, pretty good, why? And he's just like, cool. Good? And he was like, no, he's holding it. He already had it. I didn't even recognize it. Michelle looked at me and she's like, you're good. And I was like, uh oh. Right? How was he? Huh? Was he better? No, I didn't let him have it. Oh, no, damn. no. Oh, damn, we should have. No. Well, but to the point. It's like you look at a lot of the bullshit out there and if it's not are you really pressure testing it or are you just showing up making yourself feel better you know what I mean like yeah like because that's the thing here's the thing somebody could walk in and be like hey you guys are doing this wrong and like I had a I had a first sergeant he's one of my best mentors when I was in the army legend in Ranger Regiment came down to us we really lucked out with this guy and like close court he wrote a mount for regiment like the advanced stuff regimental a mount we're going through some problem solving stuff and this guy's walking back from battalion from a first arm meeting and he sees us running it and one of the guys in my uh, squad the other team leader came from regiment with him and we're going through some stuff he's like what are you guys working on we're like well we're looking at the tax op and we're seeing this and we think there may be a better way to do it. You know what he did? He didn't go, motherfuckers, I know this, blah, blah, blah. He literally threw his book down, and he went, let's run it. Let's see. Mm-hmm. 
and we sat there and went through this over and over and over and then when he got done he goes doesn't violate anything there's nothing wrong with it uh you're trying to get smart he goes honestly he goes next uh committee because we'd have a committee on a lot of stuff in the company he goes next committee committee meeting we have or whatever bring it up and uh if everybody votes it in, it's fine. Let's just make sure the whole company does it so everybody knows what's going on if we're going to implement it and you're not doing your own thing. But he ran it. Right. We could have somebody walk in and talk shit and we'd be like, okay, let's try it. Yeah. Like, we're, it's not like, oh, the shit we're putting out. That's why I hate the Detroit Urban Survival jackass. It's like, somebody just choked that dude out live. Please. Right. And just get it over with. Like, the eye gap, all the other bullshit that you see, like, I came up. That's so why I tell people all the time, I'm like, yeah, I'm a third degree black belt in this, and it doesn't matter. Right. It helped with other stuff, but it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yo, because it's a podcast, let's plug it. Isn't that what makes your courses so important, right? I think for myself, like, I look at my, I, I did, at least I had three years of grappling, whether I did jujitsu or not. Like, I had at least, I could defend myself on the ground. I felt like yeah, I was to get in a street fight against an untrained person. My ground game was where it needed to be. I had yeah. 13, yeah, 14 years of Muay Thai, right? I would describe myself as a pretty competent martial artist, and I had military training with guns. What I didn't have was any practical application to employ firearms or knife fighting into those other disciplines. There was that gap there, just like there's a gap between stand-up fighting and ground fighting, which we have mixed martial arts. Your courses provide that gap. It is the most valuable training, especially for people who have prior experience, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe if you have no experience at all, I think still think it's valuable because it's better to be introduced to those concepts and then you can deep dive later. But if you have that training and you have that gap, this is like that perfect filler. <clears throat> and so I really recommend anybody that's interested in getting firearms training that's applicable to hand-to-hand -hand self defense real life scenarios like he said that are fire tested right you're gonna go out there you're gonna use uh, those paintball guns you're gonna use live electric knives you're gonna pay consequences for your mistakes and that's gonna be teachable moments they're gonna give you real-world application look I need to know what those consequences are it's the majority the best of them are you don't it doesn't it's not positive in, in the world of combative so firearms yeah. training, the training that I have done with Sam has exceeded all the training that I've ever done. And that includes the, um, the best training that I had previous to that when we went to Iraq in 2003, the uh, federal marshals that came and they did CQB training with us because we had no CQB training prior to deployment. Mm -hmm. So we did like this crash course in CQB. They had some urban assault setups there. Um, that was really good. Sam's training has exceeded that. And now mind you, that's impressive. And so I really think there's a lot of value in your programs. I think that's something that um, anybody that's in the martial arts world would benefit from well, I, I think it's about getting better. Just like six months ago, you know, when you're out performing trainers, in police departments yeah in six months because you're showing up and, and you're coaching and, yeah getting the reps in getting reps it, oh dry fire you're so legitimately good dude, i'm when, telling you that i'm frustrated 
deeply impressed with how good you are. You can really see the work that you put in and the instruction come through. The fact that you've had no firearms training and the fact that I'm trying to catch up to you and compete with you speaks volumes. Part of that's the knowing how to learn. Yeah, yeah. that really does help. I'm not like it helps with my anything I do in life is like I can oh. look at something and be like, I have hey. no idea what that is, but I can figure it out. Let's bookmark the the knowing how to learn thing. I have something I would really like to expand on with that that, that I've discovered this week, but it's not applicable right now. So let's bookmark shelf it. Shelf it. Sure, we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to that one because we're all, you know, whatever. But to, right. to the point of, I said it before, you know, nobody knows who's walking around out there. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Tanner, when he's out there and he's like, yeah, man, I wouldn't have expected that. And I'm like, you don't know who you're going to be tying up with. Like, that's not even our job. And that, I, I don't know about you. I kind of approach anything that way. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. I don't know. But you're all, I'm also not being a jackass and the kind of the one. I'm a fucking black belt. And I know there are people out there that if I we I am not a hundred and two percent on my game, I'm gonna get caught, or they have the the chance to catch me. Well, any person off the street can sucker punch somebody. Period. Well, it's like Period. I said, I literally know operators who've been killed by twelve year olds. That's what I'm saying. Dude. It doesn't matter. Like. And in a sense, too, like if somebody's intentional and smart, if they wanted to harm you, you probably wouldn't know until you're in the process of being harmed. Right. Well, I, that's what I say all the time. If somebody wants to, if somebody wants to have your, if somebody's got, I can your, feel it before I touch you. If they're, if they've got your number and they want to do you in, and they're smart, you're, you're done. Uh, and, and but however, and that's why I made the statement I made earlier. If that day comes and bad things are happening to my family, God forbid. At least I could go to my Creator, knowing I did everything in my power to affect that outcome. You don't get to win every one, regardless of how hard you try. It ain't all a a good a good movie, but it's like. Don't you show up for you? You should show up for you, but you know, as a as a human, you know what I mean. It's like I said, the same reason I'm trained in like I train in but medicine. Can you care for your community? You come across a bad car accident. Mm -hmm. Can you slap on a tourniquet? Right. Can you can you an active shooter event happens? Can you pack a wound? Can you help out first responders? Like, but I think that's the modern warrior mindset. In ancient civilizations, the warrior mindset was they wanted to die in battle. They wanted to die in glory. I think where we've evolved that is, is none of us want to die in battle anymore. I would rather not. But if my life is going to end through an act of violence, I want to know that I did everything that I could to affect its outcome. Right. Well, right? Yeah. And that that's that modern warrior. Well, and I think that's the way that you should be. The thing right? about the training to get to that path, or to walk that path, rather, it does so much other good stuff for you. Mm-hmm. Like, 
like, yeah, there's that, and that's important, absolutely, but it does all these other positive things for you. Like, the ego of, like, if somebody comes in and they're talking smack, you're going to be like, okay. That happens all the time. And, right, and it's like, okay, you may throw down or you, you may whatever, but most, most people walking that path also aren't going to do that. Well, that's what you don't realize. Like, we live in a world that doesn't require you to be introspective, right? We live in a world where if you choose to not be an introspective person, you can live your almost entire existence without ever looking internally for anything, right? So that's why I talk all the time about my self-growth story, right? My self-growth story started a long time ago, right? Arguably, we can say it started when I left for Iraq. I think that was a pivotal turning point, but when I started martial arts was the beginning of my self-growth, right? I, I think that's the thing that people misunderstand about martial arts training is they emphasize so much on the fighting that really truthfully, it's more about mental and spiritual and emotional development than it is anything else. Yeah. The fighting becomes a very small part of what you do. Yeah, and it still is probably the easiest part. It is the easiest, yeah. isn't it? It's probably the because it's the it's the it's the easiest because it's the part you want to do. It's the, the part that is enthralling it's and the engaging. Not challenging part. part. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the hard part is when it's nine minutes in, you have a two hundred twenty pound guy, mother's milking you, and you're like, <laughs> I can kind of breathe. Like I know I can. Like he's not really getting me. Do you wait? Do you tap out because it's just easier to tap out there? Or do you wait for that transition? Do you wait for that, like, let's wait for the mistake? Because I'm stuck here. I'm stuck yeah. here, but I ha I'm still alive. Well, it's one of those right. things. It's like, what is, what is your cumul cumulative effort, right? It's like when people are like, oh, look at this fat guy in the gym or whatever. Okay. If he shows up every day. Damn right. Who, like, man, look at that fat guy on the treadmill. Okay, okay, cool gym bro with your two tiny tank top and whatever else. Like, if he keeps showing up, he can transform himself. If anything, you should be like, yeah, man, get it. In, in the Good job. Keep doing better. How about encouraging? that it takes to just show up is one of the most probably pivotal hardest parts of it. That's why yeah. I think blue belts get defeated. Right. I do. Yeah, the blue belt yeah. blues is a real true thing. It's like, wow, like I'm, I'm in them. Yeah. Like the, the being the top of the white belts is great. Well when you're like when you go I climbed a mountain and you look and you're like, yeah, and then you turn and you're like, it was a speed bump. Yeah. Mm. I think blue belt <laughs> blue belt is where you hit the realization that Blue belt meant nothing. Right. When you get that blue belt, and I think that almost like to, in lieu of purple belt, every other belt is like that. I think purple belt is probably the most important belt. Yeah. I think that's where you become, it's not because, it's, I think it's because that's where you become the martial artist. That's where, that's that pivotal turning point and it is your life now. Yeah. Brown belt is just brown and black belt are just oh like of course because you're like of course you get a black belt because you're a purple belt. 
I, if you're a purple belt and you quit training jujitsu, it's because something terribly happened wrong in your life to just make it not be able for you to do it. Yeah. It'll still you'll still always be a martial artist. That's why I said it's like a black belt in any other shit. I, I had an interesting perspective on the purple belt the other day because I've always think about this in relation to Muay Thai because me and you have talked about this a lot of times, right? And I look back and I said, well, you know, I started teaching Muay Thai back in 2015. For late 14, early 15 would have been when I started teaching with Ron's Blessing, and that's when I would have been officially uh, a crew, right? Mm -hmm. Sensei, whatever you want to call it. And uh, <clears throat> and I was looking at my experience then. You know, I'd started, tr I dedicated Muay Thai in 2009, mm -hmm. three years MMA before that. And then from 2009 to 2015, that's only six years. And then I was given a blessing to teach. And then I watched, I, well, I examined my my evolution as a martial artist from that period to here recently at, at your place. And I kind of came to this realization the other day that I came into my black belt just recently. I think sometime around that Sanchai seminar for me was when... I realized that I started evolving my style. I, I, I took that lineage and then I started adding to it and I started creating. When I was a purple belt, at that level, I was just duplicating. I was passing on a lineage and I was telling a story and I was landing down that tradition, but I was replicating what I was taught. Mm -hmm. I'm now at a stage to where I can innovate. It's my job to not just carry on the legacy of what is Ron Smith Muay Thai, but to now innovate and create my brand of that lineage of Ron Smith Muay Thai. And I think that became the black belt. That's the difference between, it's not about how good you are. It's not about, could, could I have beat up the purple belt me? Probably not. I don't think so. We're probably I, just as good. Purple belt would fuck me up. I, I mean, like true. I mean, I was at purple a belt. I was at a much different stage, purple belt level, than I am now. Same. But, but philosophically, my understanding of fighting now is so much further well, than where it was at at that time. Even if I'm not physically better. Well, and even to right. circle that up, kind of to. That's why I said, okay, I'm a third degree black belt in this, and it doesn't matter. I, in the aggregate, it it didn't. It helped with other things. But, it made you a better learner. Right. Well, and... It made so, you a martial artist. So, yeah. So, if, you, if you're looking at things holistically, forget about the individual discipline or whatever, just holistically. With everything. Hey, so, like, look at it. You and I can collaborate and I'll like be like, hey, what do you think of this clinch from this? We can mm -hmm. all look at things and collaborate. And yeah, there's a hole here. Or no, it makes sense. Let's run it and see if it makes sense. And it, even in like to the point, if you I remember, man, the Gracies came in late nineties, I had a brown belt. Bust me up. Second degree black belt, ball me up in my school. They were there running a seminar, and I was like, at the time, I was like, I cheated to get into it. Like, he was respectful, honestly, because they were there to teach and everything else. But I was like, man, I had to bail, and I'm like, this dude just owned me. It wasn't even <laughs> fair. 
it was ridiculous, whatever, and you hear all the BS of the, oh, I just, well, I could have just dropped an elbow, like my instructor said all that after they left, even a few of our masters did, who were really good, but at what they did, and in, in retrospect, I look at them, like, even back then, there are blue belts right now who would own those black belts. Yeah. Because it grew. But that should be your legacy of... It'd be like if you were a parent. That's the point. If you were, as a parent, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm here in life. I don't want my child to be where I'm at in life at this age. Mm -hmm. Financially, spirit, like, whatever, I want that growth to happen. Right. You you know what I mean? And it's the... It's the same thing. It's kind of like when... I ask you questions so much and sometimes you're like motherfucker I know you already know the answer to the test hmm. right because you'll give me that look but it's right. not it's not even I want to know if I'm missing something like right. I'm like I'm seeing this and you're like yeah you see it you know it and then I'm like so what do I, and you're like yes timing right like I feel like sometimes I'll even like I'll articulate something you didn't even say but that's the invisible jujitsu stuff. Right. right, and that's why there's levels to it, and that's why there's, like, that's why I coach you differently than I coach Anthony, the guy you're drilling with. Or, right. who, or whoever. Right. Or whoever. Like, I'm telling you, you're saying, okay, I can go here and here. I'm like, yeah, you, yes, do you know that. I'm, for Anthony or the guy underneath you, whoever. No, you're uh, fine. Whoever's underneath you is like, dude, focus on this. Sam's much right. better than me at jujitsu. We know, know this. I know this. <laughs> I'm aware of this. But it's like, in this situation, you're like... I mean, well, I, I have do to, take I have to breathe. I have to it's go... <laughs> I have to switch it up, you know? So it comes to a point where it's like, at a point in your martial arts or in your jiu-jitsu, it's... You're connecting these pathways on your right. own. And I'm saying, like, that's... Well, I've just given can, you the ability to do that. Can, can we right? all Can we all agree, though? Can we all agree? Like, he is at least purple belt level. No. Come on. I think. I don't think he's going to say I think he's like one of those, like, way too old. (laughs) I think he's like one of those, like, blue belts that should be purple. That's a joke. Like. But we've already talked about it. There's a few. There's there's people on the cusp, man. There's people that are just like. But it's one of those, like, I don't, like. (laughs) I don't want to give anybody belts. I don't want, like, I don't want to give anybody a belt. Ever. Period. Yeah. I want no one to have belts for me. I don't so, know how I feel about it. So you have to take it. But you know, it's but, the only way to. It's the only way you for, have to fucking. But just for me, it, you know, there's nothing else I can do but get it to. In the beginning, when I started mixed martial arts, and then I was then when I went into Muay Thai, that was initially was an attraction that you didn't have belts, right? Mm-hmm. You just practiced the art. And you were either good or you weren't, right? Right. But then over time, if you're not taking fights, you lose a reason to train. Mm-hmm. Right, and then it becomes down to like the, the trickle down effect of like who the attrition, who's going to keep lasting. Eventually, you got a handful like myself that will still continue to train because we like it, right? right? But we'll still have our ebb and flows and periods because it's hard when you don't have anything to train for, mm-hmm. right? Where jujitsu, that's one of the reasons why you know when I came to the school, like the pursuit of the black belt, that trophy, that title does have some merit yeah, to it. There's an allure and a thing but, to it, but I'll okay. tell you. It is frustrating as a Muay Thaist to not have that. To not have something that represents my 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 uh, commitment. My credentials. 
in this field. I like that it's such a long grind that to, to, for that path because in all these other systems you see that, you hear that, and now unless somebody tells me they're a jujitsu black belt I don't want to say I try not to be dismissive, but I'm like yeah, me too. Like, but like I said, I'm a third degree. But, but this, to my point of when I'm asking questions, it's more not only for me, but because I'm always in my head, details matter and, and all these things. And is this detail right? Because I want to transfer that knowledge as early as possible. It, with people I'm rolling, with people like me and Tom, that one night we were doing leg locks, me and Tom were going and we were looking back on the thing, we are like, hey, and you were like, shit, you guys caught it. Yeah. Because you watched the video for five seconds before a class and we're like, yep, this is the warm up. And then here I am, me and this purple belt just in the lab going through leg stuff. See, and that's the, that's, I, there's a point to where I can only give you so much until it's like you're in a point now like you know all of jujitsu you know all the moves you're able to you know your body well enough to be able to do anything that there is yeah. it's just combining and putting them in finding that flow that works for you and the little details so and that's where you are going okay I'm, I'm able to get here but what are the details to keep the spot or to go from here what are these little things that I can now or the timing the timing right that I can now start going okay here Sam here's this little tiny thing that you need because all the big stuff you got you got the big stuff so for me to like have to dedicate philosophy classes right instead of hard drilling classes right and those not everybody's ready for the jujitsu philosophy yet but when everybody I can, else has to get through the grind has to get to the grind mm. and then you and tom have been doing martial arts for ever ever yeah. where you guys can get together and you're like hey we know the flow and now you're going for the flow and you're like oh here's this here's this here's yeah. that this is cool because you both have gone the grind if you were doing that with James James, who's good, I would still be like, no, 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 no. James, we need different. He needs that big shit. Right. Well, you, know, you suggested that to me the other night. You had kind of talked about how the philosophy of martial arts isn't received as well by beginning practitioners as it is in, and talking about uh, really paying attention to the, the spread in the class and choosing where to circle back to and how to make sure that I, I reiterate on those points to yeah. be able to teach to everyone in the class. Yeah, because that was a really... I took that one home, obviously. Mm. Yeah, that like... Why I enjoyed our private lesson so much is when you realized that I could keep up. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay. And you dove in, and I was like, yes. Like, I... You broke down the simple big movements, and I was like, okay, I feel like I can handle these. And you're like, okay, now here's why. Right. Ah, yes. Oh. It's hard to get to the why yeah. if, you don't, if you can't just do it. But isn't that interesting with martial arts? Because that's really true. Is you have to learn just enough to be able to understand the why. Right. You really can't get the why first. Yeah, and the like why it, just they, keeps going. And that's the thing. You never understand the why. You just get more of, of an understanding of the why. It's I, never complete. I love the psychology and the philosophy of martial arts and right. fighting 
almost more that I like the act of fighting. Most of that's a, a lot of times, you know, we talk about fight strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, why do you fight the way that you fight? Well, some of it is because it fits my physical competencies, right? And I've developed a, the, a, a style that best matches those. Mm-hmm. But some of it is because it's a psychological strategy, right? I'm inflicting a certain psychological strategy on my opponent that comes along with that comes back to what we were talking about earlier that mindset right right it's like when this strategy of fighting or when this philosophy of fighting gets met with this mental tactic then now we're going to have something that's going to be effective it's like sean and i were talking the other day because he's tried he's like i need your knee to get better because i want you to go up he got invited to a couple other gyms up north for new workouts he's like i want you to go and we were talking about my boxing and stuff i was like i've worked on it because I'm comfortable in these other ranges and I've used it to get there. And the nice thing is, like, if I'm showing up, you guys are going to private and I'm just the Uki, right? It doesn't matter because I can still work on those things and you can be working with Eric and I'll kind of be working whatever, doing whatever you're telling me to do. And you get a first, you get, you get the first person shooter perspective of you throwing and then you watch me do it and you see what he's working on, and you can just throw me nuggets and say, hey Sam, that was okay, work on this. And I take that little tidbit, and I'm like, okay, fix your, hone your boxing this way. Well, on that point, I just thought about this, and I was gonna talk to you about this, and it's a good point, because this way we can go back and listen to it. When you were sparring the other day, I noticed that, I've been really on you by keeping your elbows in. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about that anymore. Your Dutch style of striking works really well with your movement for your kicking and your other punches. Mm-hmm. I want you just to maintain that. Sean makes fun of you. He calls my gunfighter elbows. It is. <laughs> it is. It, I do think that you could be a little bit more efficient with the power of your striking, but I don't. I think you have enough power that you don't have to worry about that. You have excess. So any loss of power that you're getting in those motion, in those moments, I think the biggest loss is probably efficiency. It's going to be take more energy to strike, but what you're gaining in your overall movement, because your Taekwondo style movement really does work with those angles that the punches are coming from. I think that's why a lot of times you struggle with some of my movement patterns and getting the punches to come in at the right angles. You find yourself too far to the right or you're not in the crop because you're coming at a slightly different angle. But when you were sparring with Eric, it made sense. Like I watched it and I went, okay, let's not change that. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be the game plan going forward. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I- and it'll be easier for you if you don't have to change it. Yeah, well, but again, it was. The working on it, and then, and I think the holes that you had in it was because you didn't have a long guard. Now that you're utilizing long guard with the flared elbows, it's filling in those gaps that were creating some of the problems. Yeah. Well, and either way, I mean, I can. I don't even have a problem correcting and adjusting. I guess the the point I made was trying to make, probably doing it poorly, was. Even just being there as, hey, here I'm a moving dummy. You're absorbing, is what you're saying. It well. Yeah, you're still you and working. I, you're still like we're we're working and it's and it's whatever. But it it gave you an opportunity to go. Okay, now I'm looking at it from the outside. Oh yeah. 
and now I'm looking at it. Well, for, and help, then you jump in around with I me. I can help him a lot better. Well, or, or you, and then you jump in around with me, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, now I have perspective on this, and it's and it's about it's about everybody See, growing, crazy though? growing, like, and whatever. And through jujitsu, it's almost the opposite. You need I to can, touch them. I can watch you. And I can see, like, okay, you can work on this, you can work on that. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know until I feel it. And that's mm-hmm. why I will randomly say, hey, give me a round real quick. I know. Well, that's the fundamental that's difference. The that's the whole the fundamental reason difference I've learned that a long time ground ago. Ground fighting and stand-up fighting. Ground fighting is all feel. Stand-up fighting is all visual. Mm-hmm. Right? So I can't, when I'm striking with you, I can't necessarily see angles and things that I'm missing. Right. Right. So when I'm at a different angle, I can then see, oh, look, there's an opening here. Oh, if we were just an inch over, this would have worked, right? Mm -hmm. Our spacing, our distance. We can only control that visually. It's perceptive, right? Then you can get the feel for it. Your spatial awareness can build. And then you can get the feel for it. That's why, you know, I know when I'm going to get hit or when it's gonna, it's something I can deflect, right? Or if it's just gonna miss. I usually know that at the beginning of the movement. Right. Right? I, so I have the a little range bit of a head looks up. different. It, yeah, yeah, you know. Like, you just, yeah, yeah. you feel, right? And so, in jujitsu though, but I also think that's why so many stand-up fighters have such a hard time transitioning to clinch. Because clinch is all, I think that's the only it's thing that allows me yeah. as a stand-up fighter to be more comfortable with the ground because to me jujitsu is just clinch work it's so familiar already that it's just like oh the more i understand about jujitsu the better i'm getting a clinch because i'm understanding how to manipulate body movements better and positioning and i think you know it's comfortability because i did a little bit of jujitsu in the army but my muay thai stuff when i started working with guys who were fighting semi-pro fights and stuff I had a few buddies who did some Muay Thai who I worked with, but I could work for these work with these guys in corner forums who were doing MMA stuff. And my clinch, they'd be like, "Hey, help me out here," because knees and elbow. I was just comfortable yeah. because it was like touching another human. It sounds stupid, but it was. It was just comfortable, mm-hmm. like it, it or it wasn't like alien. It wasn't. Right. Uh, yeah, it felt safer there. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I said I like outside. Like, I'll piece you up. You're going to get fucked up. And then, I didn't want to stand there and box, but once I was clinched, I was comfortable enough. Most people, I was tearing them up with elbows and knees. See, for me, like, clinch became my jiu-jitsu. When I started MMA, you know, you have that striking, and I had terrible striking, and I was always fighting people bigger than me because I fall into that awkward, like... Large. Short, hefty. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like a, I'm like a big. Like you, how did you say it? I'm a big guy, but I'm not a big guy. Yeah. So You're we're a always big fl- little guy. So it's like the little guys don't want to train with me because I'm too big for them, and the big guys are like, like the other day when Chase was like, I want to roll with you. I was like, what the f- jolly green giant motherfucker? <laughs> I'm in your weight class, but I'm not right. yeah. <laughs> six four. I butter. You know? I butter halfed him a bunch of times. Oh yeah, I, I murdered him, but. uh you know, so for me, I always found myself against the cage, and I was always out of control, right? So the first, I just had to learn, like, dirty boxing and MMA clinch. I had to learn how to fight from these, like, weak positions, guard, right? And so once I got comfortable with that, and then I got to runs, and then I had the chance to start working with a lot of the ties, and then I got comfortable with not, then I blended the two, 
Then I blended that MMA dirty boxing with the Thai clinch, and that's what makes my clinch so unique, is I know both traditional Thai clinch, and I also know traditional dirty boxing. So yeah. when I'm training it, I'm kind of showing a little of both. Yeah, you do a lot of dirty boxing. But I do a lot of dirty boxing. You can, you can see the disdain in his face. <laughs> you know, being able to I used it on you when you were tired, though. You when did. I caught you with that jab elbow, and you were like, I'd have ate that one. Yeah. <laughs> I just parried and was like, I was Boop. so tired that day. We were both it was so a miracle I was moving. We were both so tired. Yeah. It goes you know, back to being, you know, evolving yourself, oh. right? And that's what like being a black belt is, is when you get to that that venture in jiu-jitsu where it's like, okay, like, I know nothing. I have an understanding. I know well, nothing. How do I make myself the best I can be? Well, and that's what makes yeah. martial arts so amazing, right? Yeah. As, I, as I took something <laughs> that was a weakness, right. that was like, oh, I'm too small of a guy to keep myself from getting there, to turn it into something to where because I'm so compact and stocky, this works beautifully for me. And now it's a super dangerous thing. It's like I almost welcome it. It's like, yeah. oh, you're winning. Yeah. Come here. Why don't you just go ahead and try to <laughs> clinch with me and put me on the wall? I'm going to look defenseless, and I'll bait people in with that. And then I hurt them. And it's just like that's that space I like to be in, you know, and it's so controlling. And it's safer. I think that's too. It's like jujitsu. I'd much rather be on the ground with somebody fighting than to eat a haymaker. And clinch is the same way. Right. I don't have to worry about eating a haymaker in the clinch. Well, I'm like, going to deliver way more damage than I'm going to take. It's like I said, I don't, yeah. even, I don't really see size anymore. Just a puzzle. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like, well, okay, here's this dude. Uh, the average person walking. I mean, and you never know, but on average, I'm just like, this is a different problem. On just, average, I just an arm drive the back take, and I'm pretty. I know it's like pretty confident that's what's gonna happen. Well, here's the thing, and the I, honestly, I think that confidence comes from this person wouldn't be coming at me aggressively if they were a trained person, right? Because the more the more I, trained I, you are, the less aggressive you become. And the more trained you get, the more you expect other people may know more than you. Yeah. But yeah. you know what I'm Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know what I'm wanting to get by like, one like, wrestler out there. Like, like seriously, if, you, if I were, let's say I was 6'3", 240, let's say I was Brock Lesnar, but my experience and the people I've trained with and everything else, if I saw you come in and I was sitting there and I said something and you were like, I'm going to break both your legs. I would actually go, hmm, fuck. You know what I mean? Forget the size and everything else, but like, oh, I'm going to smash this little dude. Like, with the experiences I've lived and people I've trained and dealt with, I wouldn't discredit that. Like I said, I know some of the guys who are like, that video game nerd, their video game is jujitsu, and they know every fucking cheat code. That little dweeb will choke the life out of anybody that's here. That's the thing that I love about jujitsu, and that's the thing that I've got most excited about. What jujitsu does that Muay Thai or any stand-up martial art doesn't do is eliminate the guesswork. One thing you can confidently say as a jujitsu artist, right? So let's let's build the scenario. Six foot two, two hundred and twenty-five pound linebacker from Mizzou comes into the gym tomorrow, right? And he wants to fight both of us in our discipline, right? I'm gonna walk out there. There's a possibility that I'm gonna lose. I can catch a haymaker. He's so powerful. He's fast. He's explosive. 
it's very difficult to keep somebody from hitting you, and if he hits me and he connects with that kind of power, he Punchers can put me to chance. sleep. Punchers he can put chance. me to sleep. The fear is never gone. Yep. Right. That same guy, in a in forty five seconds flat, he will be sleeping on the floor, and I'm going to be helping you wake him up every I time. I believe that. I don't, he's every like, time. I, I believe I will choke him. Yes. I know for but a fact. I'm going. To, There's no air there. He's an athlete. Athleticism matters. He's an athlete, and right. he outweighs you. And by he outweighs one. me. Right. It's that but, thing. See, but here's—I'm not saying I wouldn't win. It's just how long is it going to no, take? No, but you know what the guarantee is. But that's is? the difference. So you know the guarantee is the win, and that's what I love about jujitsu. At some point, and I realize, like as a black belt, there are going to be guys that can still beat you. I there think are, it's a, like you said, size, weight, things like I that. I think it's but a safer guarantee. You are not going to get hurt. That's right. a safer yeah. guarantee. Yeah, I'm not saying oh, thousand percent, right? I mean, in the stand-up world, you don't puncher's you, chance, you always man. have that puncher's chance, man. Yeah. I don't. That's why I gravitate when I bounced at the club, when I was bouncing at the bar. Clinch. That's what the very first thing I did is clinch, yep. because I wanted to eliminate the puncher's Power. chance. Yeah, dude, I don't want to get, get rid out. of the problems, <laughs> right? Yeah. Get rid of the problems, get control, and let's fight from here. That's fine. Get in. Yeah, yeah. but all right, we, we gonna wrap it. this up? Yeah, I'm gonna call it. We are at. Almost two hours. That was a pretty good podcast, I'd say. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you, guys. Again, it's always been enjoyable. Go ahead, and uh, if you're still hanging around, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Check us out. We are going to be releasing episodes here every Saturday, and then uh, hopefully you can uh, just join us, and we'll keep having a good time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Stone Dates, out. <laughs>